Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to a reload of the What's Next podcast. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I always like to bring those ones back that had a huge impact, not only on myself, but I got a lot of feedback from listeners just like you. I hope you enjoy this week's reload of the What's Next podcast. I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Daniel Marcos today. He is the co-founder and CEO of Gazelle's Growth Institute, an online executive education company for C-level executives at fast-growing firms. He is also the co-founder of Inflection, Gazelle's Mexico division, and a CEO coach himself. Across all these efforts, his goal is to help 1 million entrepreneurs scale their companies. He's also an ambassador for Singularity University, and he co-authored the book, Startup to Scale Up. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Very excited to be here. I'm super excited. I, you know, I, obviously I have my book, Growth IQ, but Anybody I can talk to who lives and breathes growth all day, I'm in. So before we get into that fantastic dialogue, I'm going to start us off with something I call bullish and bearish. Okay. Bullish is, you know, you are for something, bearish is you're against it, and they're hopefully not too painful, but it's just to get the juices flowing. Are you ready? Perfect. All right. The first one, not all growth is good growth. I agree. Bullish. Excellent. Bullish, All yeah. right. This is a fun one. Uber submarines to visit the barrier reef. Oh, yes. Four. Yeah. Bullish, yeah. Four. So they just launched this great thing. These little Uber submarines. You can Uber a submarine and go through the barrier reef. I think it's fantastic. That's super cool. That's worth a trip to Australia. <laughs> That's what wow. I said. I'm like, sign me up. Oh, yes. All right. All right. And then the third one, which will lead us right into our conversation, but you can teach someone to be an effective CEO. Four. Yes. hundred percent. Okay, great. All right. So uh, I uh, got three bullish. So, you know, the other day I was interviewing somebody, I got three bearish. I can never sort of balance it wow. out. It's either I can't, I can't, I can't always get it right, but <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll take, I'll take all those bullish. All right. So let's, let's start at the beginning. Um, you know, I'd love to sort of unpack how you view growth. You know, I know you're very focused on these various stages. So maybe you can start at the beginning and work us towards uh, getting towards the, you know, being a CEO. So so first, uh, growth is a decision. Uh, I remember talking with clients or people we help scale their companies. And they tell me, I remember exactly a day that we decided to scale. Um, so, so, so starting by that, um, a lot of people are kind of playing not to lose, uh, and just kind of saying that I want to be entrepreneurs and just bouncing things around. And there's some that really made a, a conscious decision. They want to scale and are willing to do what you need to do to scale, uh, scale a company is not easy. You have to do a lot of tough things. You have to sacrifice a lot of things in your life. So, so first you have to decide you want to grow. And indeed, I've had, um, I led several uh, companies going through a process we call, uh, it's like a weekend that we get companies to to uh, define their strategy uh, uh, and growth uh, decision. And the first day we go, we take them through a process of um, strategic thinking and the second day on execution planning. So in the first one, you, we divide it like this. So on the first day, you really think openly and you don't have any 
thing block in your mind, and you could just think of what you want to accomplish. And the second day, you focus on, on what you have to do on how to accomplish that. And sometimes on the second day, they come, they come back and say, you know what? I was super excited yesterday. I love what we came up with, but I'm not really willing to do that. Because if I <laughs> were able to do that, I'm going to have to work on Saturdays and put all my uh, assets at risk. And so, so scaling is a, is a decision. And you have to accept the risk and the complications of it. Uh, so that's first. Um, so if you want to scale, first you have to decide. And then you have to be extremely disciplined on your operation. We have found that the companies that scale is because they're maniatic discipline on a strategy. Uh, I don't know if you heard this from Vern, but uh, there's a study in Harvard that proves that more companies have died for excess of opportunity than for lack of opportunity. Well said. Well said. I totally agree. So you're in sales. You know, you like there's thousands of markets. There's thousands of opportunity. Indeed, the GDP of the world, I think we're around $85 trillion. So if you, if you could not make money in $85 trillion or, or find 10 uh, growth strategies, you have a problem. The problem is that people focus in 10 instead of having to focus on just one or two. And that's when you get well, I love I love the ten because Growth IQ has ten growth paths, so I'm in. Ten is a good number. <laughs> <laughs> but the problem is they try to do the ten at the same time, oh, yeah. and that's where you have to be very very disciplined and say, "Hey, you know what? I love this. I'm not ready, or I'm not the best, or it's not the right time to do it. And I'm going to do that in two years. Now I'm going to focus in this niche. I'm going to focus in this market with this product and just dominate it." All right, that's two. Um, so that's growth. And then the third one, if you want to scale physically, you first have to scale your mindset, uh, and, 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 and your beliefs. Um, usually the entrepreneurs, the CEOs, the founders, we become the bottleneck of our companies. And if we have, let's say our mindset is at level three, there's no way our company grows above three. Uh, indeed, uh, I read this study the other day. Companies in the Valley that were venture funded, how many of them were able to go above 30 million in revenue? And the number was extremely small. Even though they got 60 million, 80 million funding, they were not able to go above 30 in revenue. Just because human beings, for us to be able to grow a company beyond that number, we have to let go and, and allow our team to run the company without us in the day to day. And a lot of people are, are not able to do that. So you have to really be, you have to be able to scale your mind or your way of thinking of, or the tools in your mind to then be able to scale your company. So I always said that be, before scale is physical, it has to be mental and you have to learn how to really scale your, your mindset or your, your learning to the next level. I love that one. Okay. You want more? All right. So we got the, we got the, you got to decide to grow. Yep. You got to be disciplined, disciplined and you got to scale the mindset. That's correct. We always said, if you want to grow your company 10x, you first have to grow your team and your mind 10x and not in, not in quantity. Uh, it's more in quality or, or mindset. All right. So now let me go to the stages. And this is very important. People read a book and they get excited or they hear a methodology or they hear a speaker and they want to implement immediately. And like human beings, companies have stages. Babies, kids, adolescents, and adults. And there's certain distinctive foods that you have to give in each stage to allow them to grow. So an example, when you're a baby, the best food they could give you is a Gerber, right? 
sometimes when you're an adolescent, an adult, you read a book about Gerber is an amazing food, and you want to feed a company that it's in a third or fourth stage, and that just doesn't work. So the the big mistake that I see uh, with entrepreneurs, we just get excited with something, and we want to implement it right away without really understanding if it's the right stage and is the right moment for the company. So, so whenever you really understand what stage you're at, you could do whatever is what the company needs at that moment. So let's say stage one, one to five employees. That's what I call a startup. And the most important thing there is to really be able to understand your business model, prove your business model. You have to validate your business model. And the way to do that is through marketing, really have a conversation with the potential clients to really understand what do they really want and what, how much are they willing to pay for that. Uh, and a lot of companies, they raise a lot of money because they have a great idea or they have a great pitch and they try to buy their growth with cash without really doing the hard things at the beginning. Um, I've seen a lot of companies that they raise too much cash at the beginning and it's very easy to throw money to, to cover holes or cover mistakes or buy your growth. So I really wish companies wouldn't raise that much money at the beginning until they prove their business model. Okay. So that's the startup. Now the grow-up phase, let's say the, the kid or adolescent. Um, your focus is 100% on sales. Now you have a fixed expense that you have to feed the animal that you breathe, let's say. So it's very, very important that you bring the sales and the cash that you need to be able to keep the company alive. And then the priority is really hiring the right team. I say on the first stage, you don't choose your employees. Your employees choose you. You don't really have great salaries or great brand or great assets to be able to attract the best employees. It's people that choose you, that they believe in you, believe in your dream, believe in your company, believe in your pitch, and they start working for you. On second stage, now you have to be much more strategical of who do you bring. And there's a big problem because you want to hire uh, people that are better than the company or bigger than the company. And those people are much more expensive. So you need to be able to bring the cash and the sales to be able to sub, uh, to pay for that personal. Uh, and the barrier that doesn't allow you to do that is leadership. Because entrepreneurs, we believe we have to be hands-on operating the project. And as the word leadership says, you have to lead a team. And for entrepreneurs, it's very, very difficult for them to allow to lead a team. They want to be taking all the decisions and doing everything. You just can't. You have to step aside, give the direction to your team, and then allow them to do it. So that's stage two or the grow up. For me, stage two is a scale up. And that's when you really start scaling a company. Um, and there, the biggest barrier to scale a company is infrastructure. Because all your systems and procedures that you design on stage one and stage two, they're very, very manual. And you have it in Excel or very simple tools. Now you have to really begin investing in building infrastructure. Uh, that's when you start putting gas or uh, in the car and the wheels begin falling off. And the most th the thing that we have found on stage number three, once you have the infrastructure, the thing that you need the most is discipline. Be able to align and simplify your systems and just be very, very focused and disciplined doing one thing. Where we see companies dying when they're scaling, they get so distracted seeing all the shining objects when they're scaling that they want to do 10 marks at the same time or do 10 things at the same time. And that's when companies die. That's why in, in scaling up uh, the, Vern, the book by Vern Harnish, 
the most important things that that their pathology solves. It's focus and communication. You have to focus in very, very few things and just have great communication to have all the team aligned to help you do that. The fourth stage, that's when you dominate your industry. And that's the first time you begin talking about market share. Before stage four, you're still too small to matter. That's when you really begin, if you win a percentage point of of the market, you're taking that percentage point for someone else. Uh, And the hardest part on stage three, we get into a comfort zone. So our job as the leader is really to keep the company reinventing themselves and getting to the right new trends and doing the right new things. Uh, And really getting out of the comfort zone. We've seen a lot of CEOs, once they get to stage number four, instead of focusing on growing, they focus on protect what they have built. And when they start protecting, they start playing not to lose, and they end up losing. So we've now gone from you know a toddler all the way to an adult, <laughs> right? And right. there are sort of different, there are people who are listening who play a role at a startup or a small company, midsize or enterprise. And you know, is there anything they could learn from each of these stages that that may impact, you know, when they know where they are working, would they, I don't want to say behave differently, right? Because I don't literally mean it that way. But, you know, if I'm an employee and I start with a startup and I grow up with a company, I have a very different perspective on that business than I do if I got hired into it when they were already at sort of stage two, three, right? Or three, four. Make sense? When we help a, a much bigger company, we see the divisions of the company or the teams as their own startup. And the head of the company has to act like that. They have to evolve from an entrepreneurial mindset that they have to do everything to a, to a CEO level, let's say, that you're 100% uh, more strategical and much less in the operation. And indeed, what I like to teach people, um, when they start being leaders, they start playing checkers. And when they become like really good leaders or or second level leaders, they become playing chess. And let me try to explain the difference. So whenever you're playing checkers, you look to your board and all your pieces are red or black and they're exactly the same. And you as the leader, you have 100% control of what happens on the board. Whenever you're playing chess, you look at your board and you realize your team members have strengths and weaknesses. Your role is to help them put, put them in the right uh, like piece or the right part of the puzzle that they could use their strengths the best and then cover the weaknesses with the rest of the team. But then once you have put them there, then you have to allow them to do it on, your, on their own without you being there. And that's a much more strategical leadership way to do it. And it's really, really hard because leaders, they, we want to be involved in everything. We want to be the center of the operation. And we just can't. We have to trust our people, put them on the right position, and then allow them to flourish in that position. Yeah, and I think there, there was uh, another guest I had on the uh, on my podcast who ran sort of customer success at um, an employee relations at Southwest Airlines for 25 years. And she would say, you know, hire tough. Oh, I love manage it. Manage easy. <laughs> Like that. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, and I think that that fits, you know, very nicely into that. And so, uh, you know, as a first time leader or manager, maybe, maybe not the CEO, but you know, you're, you're sort of on the quote unquote leadership team, 
in a smaller mid business and and you've never really been a manager right i mean you know even going to college uh, and getting an MBA doesn't teach you how to be a manager. It most definitely doesn't teach you how to sell and market. Uh, well, more marketing now than than before. But it, it, I would say it, it. I don't think it teaches you necessarily how to be a manager or a leader. I'm not really asking for if you know if you agree or don't agree with that. If you want to, great. But how can someone skill up on those you know attributes that you need to drive this kind of change in you know this making decisions? And be decisive about it, going back to those first three, right? Being disciplined and then keeping my mind, sort of the beginner's mindset really fresh as I'm working for or driving a company and leading a company through these four stages. So I there's a, in, in Good to Great book. Um, so I don't know if you remember, uh, Jim Collins talks about level five leadership. And after the book, uh, they ask him, hey, how do you become a level five leader? So he got deep into understanding whoever was a level five leader, and they tried to do some research of like what got them there. And one of the things that he researched was what did they study? And he was expecting to see chemical engineers or or business managers or something. And they, what they have learned or what they have studied, most of the level five leaders, was they were lawyers. And when he figured that out, he was really mad because he said, I don't like lawyers. How can they be the best leaders? And then he goes and study how are they trained to be lawyers. And he realized that a lawyer, once they become a CEO of a company, they say, well, I really don't know how to do this. I'm going to trust in my team. So they allow the team to come with ideas and, and, and say things. And they say, well, that sounds great. Go and do it. And then they become a cheerleader of their team. So trusting your team, like hiring great, as you said, hiring tough at the beginning, but then trusting your team and then guiding them as a coach and coach them to feel comfortable in what they're doing. And the lawyers, if, if, you, if you look back when they, when they work in a, in a law firm and all that, they could never tell a client, you could not do this or you could not do that. They say, well, the law says this, this is what I recommend, you do whatever you want. So the way a lawyer thinks, it's a great analogy of how a leader should think with their team. So you should not have all the answers. Your team should have more answers than you. And you're there to coach them and to guide them and then uh, make them feel comfortable with their decisions and support them through their process. But don't tell them what to do. So the higher you go in leadership in an organization, the more you have to hear and the less you have to talk and the less decisions you have to take. Uh, you have to hear people, ask them questions, challenge them, and then said, okay, great, that sounds great, then go and do it. And if someone believes they came up with the idea and they're confident with the idea, they're going to execute it great. So the most important thing to evolve from entrepreneur to CEO is to trust your team. Uh, of course, on the first stage, you have to do everything, right? You have to do the technical work, the administration work, the, the entrepreneurial work, everything. But the more you grow in leadership in a department or in a company, you have to let your ego go and allow your team to do more than you. And when I tell people, your role is to build a team that runs without you, they say, well, if I, be, I, be, I build a team that runs without me, they're going to fire me. And I was like, no way. They're going to ask you to fix bigger problems. Because if you're able to fix a small department, then they're going to give you a big department to fix. And the bigger the department you fix, they're going to give you a bigger one. 
So the most important thing is you have to let go and trust your team and just coach them to be better. Yeah, another guest I had on my team, uh, Mike talked about sort of the clockwork, yeah, I, right? Like your your business running like clockwork. That's correct. I wrote this um, uh, uh, the introduction to the book in Spanish from Mike. Oh, did you? Yeah, and the pump, the sort of the pumpkin plan, right? And 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 I don't remember. Is it that if you leave your business for thirty days or sixty days or ninety days, like and completely check out, will the business continue to run? That's and correct. and right, and and you know that in fact. Uh, you've done yourself a really great service because you have people that you've surrounded yourself with, you've empowered and enabled to make the right decisions, whether you're in the room or not in the room. Um, 100%. So the last thing I want to cover off is, you know, uh, I often get asked this question, you know, hey, Tiffany, why, why didn't you ever, quote unquote, you know, start your own company? You know, along the travels, I've been doing this a while, right? And, and it was a really, uh, in between my last uh, job at Gartner and this job here at Salesforce, like it was that, that sort of moment in time where I said, well, if I was going to do it, I should do it now. And I had this, you know, uh, over a bottle of wine conversation with uh, a friend of mine, Naomi Simpson, who's a shark on Shark Tank Australia. And we were talking about like, you know, being an entrepreneur, which obviously she's a very successful one. And I realized I'm not an entrepreneur. Like I, I realized that like I just don't have that risk quotient. Like I will work for an entrepreneur and I will help make them very, you know, successful, make us successful. But me doing the whole like what you said at the beginning, you know, you gotta do all these things and it's and it's it you have to really wanna do it. And I realized wasn't for me. It doesn't mean I didn't want to be an executive who moved up in an organization. It's just I didn't want to start my yeah. own. And so I, I think that that is a question when you were saying that you need to ask yourself in the beginning is, you know, do you have the risk quotient for being an entrepreneur? Yep. Because, you know, one of the stats you mentioned was not many companies make it past 30 million. And I think in Vern's book, it was like a very small percentage of companies ever make it larger than 5 million. In, indeed. Uh, 96% of the companies in the U.S. never make over a million dollars a year. That's right. Right. And then 80% hit a growth stall at some point yep. in their history. Right. To go back to another Vern, Vern stat. And so, you know, for those that are listening that may aspire to want to be an executive, but more importantly, I want to hone in on they want to actually be a CEO. How did you, you know, and how do you advise and all the coaching and all the things you're doing, like being prepared to be a CEO and is it really right for you? You being the collective you, right? And let me tell a quick story, uh, uh, just support what I'm saying. No one really prepares you to be a CEO. Uh, one day you wake up and you're in the seat and you have to figure out. Uh, when, when I became an entrepreneur for the first time, we're uh, four friends from college and we decided to do a company. So we met in a cafe after two or three months of talking about it, now to decide. And we sat down for two or three hours to really decide the business model and all that. And at the end, a friend said, okay, let's decide who's going to do what. And we said, great. So one of them raised a hand and said, hey, I'm, I'm very good with finance. I'll be the CFO. Perfect. And the other one said, hey, I know technology because I studied uh, electrical engineering, so I'll be the CTO. Perfect. And the other guy said, my father has a company that does concerts, so I help him with that, so I know something about sales and marketing. I'll be the head of sales and marketing. And they looked at me and said, what are you going to do? And I kind of went blank because the three of them were better than me on the three things that we needed in the company. And I said, great, I'll be the CEO. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> 
yeah, but but they like uh, so they complained and said why, and I was like, well, Hans has to take decisions, and they look at each other and say like, okay, and that was it. So I became a CEO of like that. And by the way, in the first twelve months of their company, I had to fire two out of the three. We were co-founders. They kept their stock. I fired them from their position. They were not doing their job, and I was the CEO. And and I said, you put me here. You know I'm doing the best decision for your money. So I'm going to take my decision, and you're out. And I fired both. Uh, so, so it's really, really hard once you're in the seat. What I have learned is that leaders, all leaders are readers. Um, I realized that every problem or opportunity I have in business, someone already had it, built a methodology of how to fix it, and wrote a book about it. So my role, every time I have a problem or an opportunity, is figuring out who has the knowledge that I need and what's a book or course or whatever I have to take. And here's the last thing that I will close with. Uh, I try to do deliberate practice. Um, Malcolm Gladwell told us that if we do something for 10,000 hours, we'll be great at that. You could still do something 10,000 hours wrong. So I always have a coach or follow a methodology or something that I'm deliberately all the time practicing how to get better. And I was a really lousy CEO at the beginning. But I've been a CEO for 19 years, and I think something has stick um, of doing it. So I really have become a reader. I probably read a book a week for the last 19, 20 years. And, and now things begin to click in the mind and putting things together. Um, so if you want to be a CEO uh, or you want to be a leader of a company, start reading and learning. That's the only way for me. Yeah. And I, and I you know, I, uh, I did an interview with Seth Godin some time ago, uh, not on my podcast, although he's been on, it was for something else. And we were, t- I asked him, you know, look, lots of people want to get into marketing. We were specifically talking about being a CMO, right? So getting to the C-suite on the marketing role, what would you give as great advice, you know, for someone who's starting out in marketing that wants to be a CMO? His answer was start marketing. Of course, yeah. And I'm like, well, that was deep, you know. (laughs) Thanks, Seth. Right. But what he said was start marketing, for example, market for your PTA or for your kids, you know, Girl Scout or Boy Scout or raising cookies or doing a fundraiser or for your church or for whatever. Start marketing. And, you know, don't do it in your job. Learn a little bit. You know, maybe you say, I'm going to take over social media for my little, my church, you know, or my art raising cook, you know, raising money for the hockey team or whatever it might be. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to learn how to, I'm going to learn how to do a blog. I'm going to learn how to, you know, create a banner. I'm going to, he's like, just start marketing. It doesn't matter what it is. I think that's a great recommendation. Right. Volunteer. You don't know it, but you'll learn. In Mexico, uh, I'm originally from Mexico, and we have a saying that the devil is not great because he's the devil. It's because he's really old. He's <laughs> <laughs> been a devil for centuries. Yeah, and so so I would say, you know, as it relates to management, leadership, right, running your own business, I mean, I, I could name on two hands how many, you know, really successful entrepreneurs, you know, sharks on Shark Tank, whatever, will be like, oh, you know, I started a 
you know, a lawnmower business, clean, you know, doing the lawn business when I was nine, I was delivering papers in my paper route at 11. I mean, you know, they were just, that was always their thing, right? If I'm going to learn how to do something, I'm going to go do it. If it, whether it's selling lemonade or having a paper route, or, you know, now it could be working at Starbucks, you know, and, and, and I use that as the example, because, you know, if you're a full-time employee, they'll help, you know, finish out your college education via, um, Arizona State University. And so, but you could move up and learn how to be a manager while you're getting educated. I mean, there's so many creative ways to just go out and do it versus saying, I have to be the leader right out of the gate, because um, I think that's really challenging. And, and you know, I'd love to hear what you think on that point. But before I close that off, the other thing I'd say is sort of that founder leadership issue when it's time for the founder to step down. Those are sort of the two things I'd love to to end this uh, great time with you today on. So so uh, let me answer the second one first. So it's not because you're the founder, you have to be the leader. Uh, and as I said, we started four of us and two of them were out. And I told them, hey, it's for your good. You have a lot of stock in this company and you know I'm taking the best decision to get the right position or the right person in the position. And you're not that. And you have to do the same thing with you. As an example, I know I'm very good or I think I'm good for the first stage. I'm terrible for the second stage. I'm really, really bad. And in my company, my co- one of my co-founders, we three co-founders, Vern, Juan, and myself, Juan really was the CEO for the second stage. I told him I'm not good for this. And he said, don't worry, go and do coach, send me cash to be able to pay payroll, I'll take care of it. And he really ran the company for the second stage. He did amazing with it. So you really have to understand and really be very critical with yourself of, of when are you good and when are you not. And if the company is beyond you or bigger than you, it's the time to bring someone else. Bring a professional CEO that really knows how to manage a really big company. I, you have to separate your stock from your job. And if you own a lot of stock, it's in your best interest to bring the best person to run the company. Yeah, but I think that takes a level of understanding that you may not be the best. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, there's, there's the whole concept of, I think I can do this, you know, I'm, I'm fully capable and I'm very self-confident and I'm 95%, you know, uh, uh, feeling that I'm going to get this done. And then the people around you who work for you go, what is this person doing? They have no idea what they're doing. And sometimes there's a large gap between what you're think- you think you're capable of and then what you're actually capable of. That's sure. precisely when you need to have a coach or a board or a board of advisors that really come to you and said, hey, you know what? I think it's time or, or, or consider it's time. Um, it, it's very, very difficult to do it your own to figure that out. Um, I've always been... Uh, a person that looks for coach and mentors all the time. And those kind of decisions are much, much easier uh, if someone else is looking from the outside. It's very, very difficult to do it from the inside. Well, this has been fantastic, Daniel. I hope you enjoy. I could keep going like for hours. Because, yeah, because yeah, yeah, this is just right, just right in, you know, all the things that I love to talk about. Um but, you know, before we wrap this up, you know, I'd love to let you share with the listeners sort of how they can keep in touch with what you and the team with uh, Growth Institute are doing and how they can follow the work that you have put out, especially for those that are 
interested in in these growth stages as well as sort of the things that you need to do before uh, you decide to even start a business? So what Vernon and I realized that uh, we we've seen great training or, or learning out there for startups and a lot of great training for big corporations. There was nothing in the middle, and we said we need to build the right training or the right learning platform uh, or ecosystem for mid-market companies to be able to scale. The process of going from startup to grow up to scale up is really, really hard. And we uh, are putting all that material in the same platform. So if you want to learn how to become a great CEO or how to be able to scale a company through the hard process of, of going from, from stage to stage or, or leading the scale up, uh, come to Growth Institute. That's what we're building. And it'll be an honor to have you. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, that's great. Uh, you know, Daniel, once again, I so appreciate you coming on and sharing all your wisdom and more importantly, for all the work that you do for the mid-market companies and for the entrepreneurs out there around the world. I think, you know, if if people are willing to uh, be students of their profession, it requires that those teaching uh, take it with a great uh, you know, honor to be those that shepherd them along their career. So I appreciate everything that you do for the industry and for the market. So with that, I would love to uh, thank you again for joining me on the What's Next podcast. And I hope that everybody listening, you know, follows and keeps in touch with the, with what Daniel and the team is doing. Thank you very much for your time. Have a great day. How much fun was that? I, I got to tell you, I could have been on that for another hour. Love talking to anyone who is just absolutely maniacally focused on growth. I think it was fantastic to have him step us through uh, what you need to think about if you're thinking about starting your own company, right? Scaling is a decision. You got to decide to grow. You have to be disciplined around your ops and your strategy. But most importantly, you have to be able to scale your mindset, which means what you might have been good at yesterday may not be what you're going to be good at to get to tomorrow. And so Surrounding yourself with the right people has everything to do with your ability to scale your business, cross that $5 million mark or the $30 million mark, and really set yourself up for this continued success. I hope you enjoyed listening to Daniel and I have that conversation about growth. Thank you for listening into What's Next. Please subscribe, share with friends, leave a review. I appreciate you spending a little bit of time with me today, and I look forward to having you back again next time. 